From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Welcome back to another episode of Capital Idea. This is Michael Williams with the Defenders of Capitalism Project, and we've got Mitch Whitus in studio again. Say hello, Mitch. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. The Defenders of Capitalism Project is all about really helping people understand and advocate for the only moral socioeconomic system ever invented by mankind, that is capitalism, the system of individual rights. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting and topical thing the Hollywood strikes, the the Screen Actors Guild and the uh, Writers Guild of America. I don't know. I mean, uh, Mitch, this was your idea, and I think it's a great one because it's very topical, obviously, but it's also kind of tough in some ways to say, okay, what's the pro-capitalist position? What's the pro-individual rights position on this kind of uh, labor dispute? And I don't know all the different unions involved. I named a couple of them, but it seems like there's a number of different acronyms that I'm not even familiar with. Yeah, I think really this is the Writers Guild of America as you mentioned, and the Screen Actors Guild. Those are the two big ones. And uh, the Writers Guild went on strike first a few months ago. And then recently, the Screen Actors Guild has also decided to go on strike. So really, what we're seeing is a total halt. For the most part, there's been some exceptions, like this show, The Chosen, that's uh, making the rounds I've seen. So why was that an exception? You know, I don't know what grants you an exception, but I know that some smaller projects have been granted an exception. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Well, we'll, listeners will have to research and see why that is. But, you know, overall, movies, TV shows, a lot of different projects in production, they've gone completely shut down. And, uh, you know, I like movies. I've got subscriptions to lots of streaming services. And, uh, you know, of course, we're fine now because a lot of there's a lot of projects that... It's already been baked in. Exactly. They're already out. But, but a lot of stuff is stopping. It's going to slow down the pipeline. It will. Like you said, I mean, you're a fan of entertainment like I am. Lots of our listeners are probably streamers of various different entertainment that Hollywood puts out. Uh, although people who listen to us who are pro-capitalism sometimes fancy themselves as anti-Hollywood. Do you think that's true or not? Well, I think there is that that idea, right, that, no, I'm not going to go see certain movies because it's got this actor in it or this guy's directing it or it's being produced by this studio. I, for one, and maybe it's because some of our listeners might be able to tell I'm a little hoarse, I'm a little sick, so, you know, I'm really, really just going to just say what I think today. Yeah, well, you didn't need to say that. you got a, you got a strong voice no matter what, Mitch. Well, well, thank you, Mike. But all that to say, uh, I think it's a miserable way to live to say, you know, I'm not going to go see such and such movie because of this actor. I'm not going to go do this or this. I generally agree with that, although my bet is there's some some point where you'd say, ah, I can't support that crap. Well, that's true. If there's a genocidal maniac who's starring in a movie, I'm not going to go see his movie. You know, I, I, of course, have lines, but I think in general, there's a lot of Hollywood actors. I don't agree with their politics. I think they're great actors. They entertain me, and we're all Americans at the end of the day. They haven't done anything that really affronts my dignity or insults me. So I don't really get behind the, you know, boycott Hollywood all the time. But, you know, I, I can understand certain situations. Where yeah, there, there is a little bit of uh, validity to cancel culture, but most of it's a bunch of crap, right? And yeah. Most of it's like uh, grandstanding. I, I mean, uh, it can be effective, I guess. Boycotting can be effective and if you feel really strongly about it. But I think most people... I think most people, no matter where they're at politically, recognize the enormous value of well-produced entertainment, right? 
or, or, or art, I should say. You know, the film industry is about art. It's an escape. It's not only escape, though. It's also it can also be you know there, there's obviously you know documentary type of stuff can be very informational and educational. Yeah. It also can be not just an escape, but a uh, a real source of inspiration in one's life. That's uh, I think that's ultimately what the purpose of art is. And you know, seeing a great film, we could have a whole podcast episode on great films and great art, great songs, right? We could. I mean, if you've ever seen a Transformers movie, you'd know that not all movies are art. But, <laughs> you know, for the most part, I agree. Well, and I would say, I would say that most movies that are produced in Hollywood today are, are not great at art in any, any shape or form, regardless of it, whether they have a political message. But that's what's hard about it. I mean, that's why you even, I, for one, even appreciate the, the truly great art that is produced. You know, if it's that rare quality film or TV show that, that does give me that kind of inspiration in my own life, uh, I applaud it, and it's hard, you know. It's, it's like you, not everyone can be at the top of the pyramid, right? There can no. be a lot of, a lot of crappy bat baseball is played, right? You know, look at Coors Field and the Rockies. You know, there can be some really they're at the top of the, the the heap in terms of generally baseball players, but they suck in terms of uh, Major League Baseball, and they're putting a pretty crappy product on the field. And a lot of people still go see it because they like baseball and and still are going to root for the home team. Yeah, and people do that with movies as well, even though they might. And it's always interesting. You could talk separately about people's ability to judge, right? People's ability to say this is good art or not. And the wonderful thing about living in a capitalist system is we all get to make those choices, right? We all get to. We're free to say, "I love this movie." I don't care what you think, Mike or Mitch. You guys may not. Maybe you got this uh, standard of artwork that I don't have. I think right. this is but great. I thought Transformers was phenomenal, and I, I won't. I'll judge you a little bit, actually, if you say that, but not much. But you know, I will say not to turn this into a full conversation on movies we like. But I just got around to watching No Country for Old Men a few yeah. weeks ago. I think that's art. That is really good art. Although, you know, and again. It's a rabbit hole we could go down. I, I always have two standards with regard to art, um, especially films. And the first one is, is it well executed? Is it really well done? Is it well written? Is yeah. it well acted? And I, I totally agree with you. No Country for old, old Men is a fantastic movie from that standpoint. But I also have the other moral sort of uh, message or the moral of the story and... You know, I, I, I'd say that uh, that movie is horrible as far as that goes. It's not inspiration to anyone, I don't think. Well, no, especially if you're an old man in the yeah. country. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I get where you're going with this one. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but there's a lot of movies. I mean, I could name, like, uh, what's that movie with John Travolta? Uh, Pulp Fiction, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a great movie. Yeah. But really not a good movie. I mean, from, from the second standard I have with regard to aesthetic value um again well executed well acted uh well written but the message is not good yeah well we might have to have a debate on that another day mike i i do enjoy some quentin tarantino movies and, and there's a great example of a director whose politics i really do not agree with but i think he makes some really good movies so are there any movies of of his that you don't like or are you always a fan of his movies you know um i actually did not like once upon a time in hollywood i thought it was well executed um I honestly don't think I was the intended audience of that movie. Who do you think the audience was? You know, I think it's um, people who at least kind of were able to either experience, see part of the golden age of Hollywood. You know, there's the 50s, 60s, 70s, or who at least knew some of those actors 
um, you know, who were older at the time, but kind of knew the actors from I that I thought period. you were going to say people who were familiar with the whole Manson thing, right, at that time period. Well, maybe. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know about that. So we, 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 we actually should do a show sometime about uh, entertainment and, and capitalism. But give us some background, Mitch. You've read more about this and paid more attention than I probably have with regard to the strike. So what caused this strike in the first place? Yeah, I think there's a, you know, a lot of things here that are going on. But I think in the end, um, what the, the Writers Guild, the Screen Actors Guild... I think their key issues are what we hear about a lot of times during union strikes. So, you know, fair compensation, good working conditions, more creative control. Um, And then what we're also hearing, I I think the media maybe overplays this point a little bit because it's been in the news anyway. But there is this fear of AI as well. And we've done an episode on this, but a fear that maybe AI will start actually writing episodes of TV shows, which, you know, has already happened in some cases, that, you know, AI or some computer-generated imagery will actually just be able to replace actors. You know, either there will be an AI actor, or they'll just take a likeness of somebody's face, and, you know, that, that person won't have to do any more acting because the studio just owns your likeness now. And so I think there, I do think there's some fear around that. Again, I think the media maybe overplays that part because I do think a lot of this comes down to compensation as well. And what we've seen now in in the world that's going more and more towards a streaming model, you know, the Netflix, um, you know, Netflix seasons of shows, they're typically shorter. Their compensation model for writers and actors, from what I understand, is different. Um, they may not get paid as much. Um, due to how that compensation structure is set up. And so there's a lot at play there where they're saying, you know, we we still want to be able to make a living. And the new streaming world, it's different. It's not set up that the way Hollywood has been set up traditionally in the past. Now, does that mean that the actors and the, you know, the labor, in a sense, didn't see the way things were going to go with this whole new streaming service and didn't uh, you know initially negotiate well uh, in terms and that oftentimes is the case it seems like you know somebody who has ownership and in this case we might say the the management side or the the capitalist side so to speak uh, oftentimes is thinking further down the road right they're they're seeing this connection this connection this connection and, and they're making their negotiation side uh taking into account that that forethought uh do you think there's any evidence of that that the that the labor side the 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 actors and the writers didn't really think long term about how uh, and anticipate how the the streaming technology would change um change that negotiation well i mean you know i'll use that old cliche about hindsight you know of course if knowing then what they know now of course you know people doing netflix shows or something 10, 15 years ago would have gone in and probably negotiated different kinds of contracts, right? But I think part of the success of streaming, it has also caught studios off guard. You know, the success of Netflix, a lot of these other companies, Paramount, Warner Brothers, they're just now starting to catch up because even studios didn't really understand or comprehend the future. And I think that's hard for any of us to do. Yeah, and that's where you have a you know great entrepreneurs, the people who started with Netflix, and and even just the the distribution end of it, you know, because that's how they've started, you know, distributing uh, in a different way, using technology to more efficiently 
get the, the, the goods, the entertainment in, in the hands of the consumers. Um, and then, and they were successful at that. And then they had enough capital to say, Hey, we can compete with these, these big studios. Absolutely. And I mean, it's tremendous just to, to think of how the world has changed. I know when I was a kid, you know, Disney, for instance, they had this kind of silly, uh, thing where they would they would say oh buy the movie now you know it's going back on the shelves get the vhs or the dvd and then it goes back into the vault you know whatever the vault is and then you can't buy it for seven years right and now you pay whatever it is 15 bucks a month you can watch anything disney's ever made just by looking at your tv and using the remote and picking a movie I mean, it's amazing to see how the world has changed, and I don't know that anybody could have foreseen that. Well, again, there were probably some a very small minority of entrepreneurs who had that vision, and that's yes. often tough. And 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 I and you're saying it's changed, and in I think both of ours generally for the better. I mean, yes, this, this technology has really allowed us to have so much better access. Uh, to all kinds of art and information and education that uh, we wouldn't have had otherwise. And so it's been a net positive in so many ways. But you're right, this artificial intelligence, the technology revolution that's happened, the microchip revolution has made a big difference. And it does cause fear in people's uh, minds. Uh, you know, and if, you, if you're a worker, whether it's in Hollywood or otherwise, you start to say, hey, is this thing going to take my job away? Or is this, does it make me obsolete? And, and that's something that's a, it's a rational fear on many people's parts, but if they look back at history and the cycles that we go through in terms of innovation, no one can be or really should be guaranteed a job for life. You know, you're going to do the same thing and it's going to always be that valuable to other people. That just doesn't happen. That's not reality, right? You, you've heard, you've heard us use the, uh, the phrase, you know, capitalism is for grownups and, and grownups realize that, you know, things change and technology in general will, will improve our lives, um, but it does sometimes have a negative consequence for, for, uh, for certain pockets and, and temporarily. Yeah, I think, of course, there's this idea of the creative destruction, right? And it sounds like a negative term, but I actually think it's a very positive thing. Creative destruction has created innovation in the modern world, lots of technologies. But that's why I also say, I think the the fear of AI is just one kind of smaller component of what's going on. I think that also maybe a bigger part of what we're seeing here is, okay, studios are shifting now into a more streaming kind of model. Streaming has changed how people are paid, how people work, the length of seasons, that sort of thing. And so now everybody's kind of coming to terms with, well, what does that mean? How long should people work? How much should they be paid? And I think that's how we got to where we are. You know, in a sense, this is almost probably kind of inevitable. You know, everybody's taking a step back and saying, well, you know, how do, we, how do we move forward from here? Because the world has changed very quickly. Yeah, and then you have the, the, the old bromides or, you know, talking points of both sides. Um, you know, they're just being greedy, right? In fact, I think I heard... Uh, um, the, the Screen Actors Guild president, which is fascinating, Fran Drescher? Yeah. Did you ever watch The Nanny? No, I never did. I mean, I know yeah. of it, but... You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting to, to know that she's the, the president of the SAG. Um, but she, she marched out the same old thing, right? You know, the, the, the studios are too greedy, right? Right. And, and uh, for their part, the studios have come out, and they're calling for a reconciliation because, obviously... You know, these companies aren't going to make money 
if they don't start producing again. Now, they also, as of our recording, we've had uh, a few weeks now of um, corporate earnings reports come out, and a lot of these guys, Paramount, Warner Brothers, they've come out and say how great their free cash flow now is is going to be because they're not having to pay for these projects, right? So they're um, trying to kind of draw a line in the sand. I think they're you know, puffing their chests out a little bit, saying, hey, we've got so much money here, you know, trying to draw everybody to the, you know, back to the negotiating table. But at the end of the day, the strike is bad for everybody. No, Nobody wins by having this strike go on. Yeah, and that's that's generally the case in most strike situations, right? When there's, when there's, uh, when you had a kind of a partnership of any kind, before that was working. Yeah. And then you have somebody who says, hey, this is no longer a win-win. And and I want to emphasize that's the key to capitalism, right? Yeah. People are allowed to use their mind in a mutually voluntary trade and say, yeah, we're, we have a mutual uh, agreement here and we're both winning. And when one side says, hey, I'm not winning anymore in this, you're taking advantage of me, I'm walking away from the deal. That usually means uh, bad news for both parties and for the broader economy generally. So it's, I mean, this comes up and it's it's one of those things where it has to get ironed out. And, and um, is there any call? I mean, one of the biggest things I have, one of the biggest objections I have, I mean, people know that, uh, you know, the, the, the political spectrum, a lot of the people on the right are generally considered to be anti-union, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, pro-management, pro-capitalist, so to speak and anti-union. And, and as we've talked about before, that's not really the way capitalism sees it. Capitalism sees it, as I said, mutually voluntary trading. And, you know, people should be able to collect, you know, bargain collectively. But what's the next step in this, uh, in this saga? Well, first, if you didn't think that this might affect you, you know, Gladiator 2 has currently been put on hold. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it's a tragedy. So, you know, you make sure you pay attention to this episode because uh, I mean, there's a lot at stake here, including the sequel to a work of art, in my opinion. I mean, I'm a Ridley Scott fan anyway, but great movie. We definitely want to see the sequel to it, first of all. Absolutely. But where does it go from here? I think this gets to another question, right? Well, I'm a conservative or I'm center right, so I should be against the strikes. You know, let's just send in the police or whatever and get everybody just working together again and and we'll get everybody writing shows and acting and and we'll just end this right because it's just a bunch of liberals who are complaining um and and is that how we should think of it mike well again the key point there is there should be there should absolutely be no force involved so the government doesn't have a role here and unfortunately i I don't really know the particulars in this case whether they i i certainly know that there's government has its hand in everything from subsidizing you know, film locations or oh, heavily. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of, there's all kinds of government influence and force in every single industry, but there should be none of that. And in this case, I don't know that there is anything directly. I know that, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the governor of California. Oh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Newsom has, uh, sort of poised, uh, you know, or Acted like he has uh, some some influence, and evidently the the Hollywood people have uh, supported his his uh, political ambitions over the years, and and so maybe he's trying to get involved. I don't know if he's trying to just act as a middleman uh, broker of such, or to to use the heavy hand of the government of California to to try to uh, put the 
put the thumb on the scale for, for one side or the other. Well, let's say, well, I'm a small government conservative, so I don't think the government should get involved, but I'm still totally against the strike. I'm totally against unions. Is that how I should think about it? I don't think so. I think, I think again, collective bargaining has a role. Um, now, that doesn't mean that the, the management, the studios, have any obligation to to listen to those people. I mean, now the question is, do they offer something unique? And can can that, there should be an economic value attached to that, but that has to be based on voluntary trade. There could be other writers, other actors. And I think that's actually even what happened. I mean, this wasn't a labor issue, but it was a technology and evolution of the industry issue. And certainly with Netflix early on, when they started their studio, when they started producing content versus just distribution, yeah, yeah, they were hiring a bunch of unknown people, right? They were, they were saying, we can do, we can compete with this big studios with smaller budgets at the time. We can make high quality content, maybe with unknown actors. And so that's, to me, that's something that could play a part. I don't know if it would end up being where um, a lot of these people get, you know, fired or said, no, sorry, you don't get any work because we found someone to replace you who will work for these working conditions or compensation packages and so forth. But to answer your question, Mitch, I think you would agree with this. Um, it's not, a, uh, forget the conservative view, because uh, conservative usually means to me, and this isn't to be insulting for any of our audience here, but usually it means you know conserving something in the name of tradition. And capitalists are absolutely against that. Not that they're against, a capitalist should not be against tradition per se. Just like, not for tradition for tradition's sake. Exactly, exactly. So, so if there is a new, you know, a new way of doing things, um, innovation is oftentimes the, one of the biggest benefits uh, that we get from capitalism, for, from free trade. That's the way the world gets better. Innovation, by definition, means we're making changes and you have to make changes to have something different, and different means sometimes getting better. Now, sometimes it means getting worse, and that's where you you invoke the whole creative destruction thing. You know, sometimes the the, the market will say you suck, you, you're not producing anything I want, so then you have to go away and go back to the drawing board, so to speak. But to answer the question, absolutely, uh, a capitalist is not against unions and is not against management. Um, now. It's a it's against force, you know. A person who's who's pro capitalism is against having the government involved in these things. So I might be. In fact, I probably uh, if you if you ask me right now, and I, I I'm relatively ignorant with regard to the, some of the nitty gritty of what they're they're talking about. But I would bet that at this point I'd be more in favor of labor, so to speak, the, the actors, the writers, and so forth. Um, even though they might be whining about AI and artificial intelligence and the technology, because I think oftentimes that's the case, and I'm yeah. very pro-technology and, and use of innovation that way, but I think I might end up uh, being more supportive of, of Hollywood, and, and I maybe even surprise myself to say that. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I tend to think that I just take a union-neutral view. I, I don't have anything against unions just because I've heard a union has gone on strike you know I don't automatically say well shut it down and I think really for me it comes down to individual rights people if they want to should be able to group up with other people and say hey we want higher salaries we want better working conditions and like you said this should be absent of force a governmental force that's stepping in there but I think people as individuals absolutely have rights to say, hey, 
we're not going to work or we're stepping out until you listen to us. And management has the right to say, they should have the right to say, well, bye-bye, you know, we'll find other people to work with. Or say, hey, we want to bring you back to the negotiating table. Let's talk and figure it out. So, and I, I think in this case as well, I, I think that the Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild in particular, uh, they, they have some valid points, I think, on compensation. And I think, um, I, I, I don't know that I'm pro, you know, more pro management or more pro union in this case, but I definitely see some of the points that the unions are making. And um, I, I think the fact that they've done this, I, you know, I support their right to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you, you know, you mentioned, we've both mentioned the term force and emphasize that it's government force. Um, the, the key, I think it's important that we uh, sh- talk with our listeners about uh, the two kinds of force that oftentimes get conflated, government force, physical force, the ability to use a gun, the ability to say, I'm going to put you in jail or take your, take your money through fines or taxes versus economic force, earned force, where you've actually produced values. And that's the thing is that, that there's this whole issue of ownership. Who who owns the rights to this these properties to this artwork and you know there's enormous risk that gets taken by studios by capitalists um, in terms of being able to produce you know, for example big budget films I mean it's a, it's a lot of money that a lot of capital goes in I mean anyone who sits at the end of a, a major Hollywood film watching the credits and just seeing all the employees all the people you know from stunt people to to key uh, grip key grips yeah. and you know lighting and um casting there are so many people uh just people uh, aside from all the equipment uh the studio itself there's a lot of capital involved and that's partly why you don't have that many companies who are doing it in fact i think there's only like five or six major studios in the whole world right and uh, for a while paramount was looked like they were on the ropes uh, they've they've come back pretty strong in terms of content now they're they're not necessarily hitting the ball out of the park yet with regard to their investment. But, but my point is that those studios um, and the investors, you know, uh, big investors, small investors, have put the, their capital at risk. And um, they're wanting to get a return on that capital. And, and they're making decisions about properties they own. Now, that gets into the whole thing is, you know, should... Should a company be able to own the likeness of somebody else or the the acting that someone has done? Well, that's a voluntary trade. When when an actor signs a contract to be a part of a movie, they sign something that says, "Okay, I'm going to get compensated based on this scale uh, up front, and then any kind of um, renewals based on or royalties based upon distribution." But I'm giving that up. I'm giving that my right to my likeness or my acting or my voice or whatever it might be at that point in time for the compensation that's been agreed to. Now, from the statements that you said that were, you said in this case, you might actually be more pro-union than not. People who've listened to previous episodes might say, well, actually, you've trashed you, you've trashed the teachers union, you've trashed public sector unions in general in previous episodes. So why now are you suddenly saying that, you know, you're pro-union in this case? Well, again, I want to be clear. I, I agree with you. I'm neither pro-union or anti-union. In this case, I might be 
favorable to the union position. Because when I read, and again, it's been limited reading, but in terms of the the amount of compensation that they're getting for some of these things seems seems like it's they're gonna. It does seem kind of lopsided, but it's crucial to make the difference between a public sector union, uh, which I don't think have any right to exist. I mean, you're you're talking about using government force on both sides of the the equation. The, the taxpayers have no no way of protecting themselves if there's a, a public sector union. Private sector unions, which is what Hollywood is, are perfectly legitimate. Again, if they're not using violence and they're not using, uh, you know, lobbying the government to to take their side, um, that's a that's a huge distinction. Um, it's about uh, economic power, and in the case of an owner of a property of a movie uh, of the rights to a story, uh, that's they own that capital, so to speak. Now, again, you can have economic power by saying, okay, I only have my own uh, acting, writing skills, but I'm going to go get uh, together with some of my other fellow actors and writers. Then now we have economic power, and that's how we negotiate with the studios. As long as I, neither uh, party is using, uh, using force against the other, either, again, using the government or through violence themselves, then it, it remains to be worked out. And they'll find, they'll come to a market price, right? That's where you will come to a market price that says, okay, I can live with that. I think this is a pretty good deal for me. Do we have a win-win? Do we have, are we both thinking long-term about, uh, about that win? Um, and that's the best way for us to, for any of these uh, disputes to get resolved is, is for there to be a market clearing price. It gets complicated and, and sometimes it's difficult to, to, to find that price. What is the value of something? And oftentimes the consumers are the ones who, who really are the winners. They get a say. Now, again, like you said from the start, the consumers such as you and I, moviegoers or consumers of, of this kind of art, are, are potentially the ones who are going to lose. Now, we may, we may say, okay, let's, let's push our, uh, our demand towards some other form of entertainment. And that means you know, I, I, I might watch more hockey games or more baseball games if I'm not able to watch the best uh, movies or TV shows that are out there, I might start to say, oh, well, okay, I'm giving up on them. They're not, they're not going to either provide good quality or they're not producing anything new. It's all old stuff. So my, my attention and my dollars might go to a different way. And that's going to be, that should be an incentive for Hollywood to get this solved, right? So if I heard you correctly, it sounds like there's really a fundamental difference too between unions just as they exist in the market and a public sector union. Absolutely. And really, it's hard to call a public sector union a union. It's really a manifestation of using force against taxpayers. It is. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shape, shakedown racket, and that includes, unfortunately, with uh, educators as well. Although, there, I mean, in, in any public sector union, whether it's in teachers or you know, uh, police force or whatever it might be. They're, they're good, great, uh, wonderful employees who are doing their job. But they're, if they're represented by some agent of force um, and shakedown, so to speak, then that's not good. So we've talked a little bit about maybe how a capitalist in general thinks about unions, might think about strikes. In this case, you've said you might actually be a little bit more pro the union side. Yeah, I want to qualify that because I don't, I, don't I, I have... I've done limited research on this issue, but I but the research I've done looks like it's kind of uh, 
short-sighted for them for the studios not to actually be able to uh, come to the table with more economic benefit. Now, the thing is, I mean, there, there's a great capitalist, uh, Bob Igar, who has been with Disney and the retired, <laughs> yeah, and he's back at the helm with Disney, who I think is a uh, an incredible. Uh, an incredible capitalist in the sense that he understands both the economic numbers being counter side of the equation, but also is an incredible uh, uh, um, viewer, judger, judge of talent and content. Um, yeah. and, and he's a guy who, who is clearly um, on the side of the, uh, the studios. He, you know, he's, He's the CEO of for Disney, and um, he he believes that uh, the the unions are they're the ones who are being short sighted about it. And he wrote a great book, by the way, a few years ago, "Ride of a Lifetime." He wrote it kind of his swan song as he was retiring from Disney, not knowing he'd actually go back. But uh, yeah, I agree. He is a fascinating leader. And just as an aside, if you can read his book, it's well worth it. I mean, he's really. Under his purview at Disney, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe has really come into being, and Disney has become an absolute powerhouse um, in, in media generation. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because he's a fascinating person. Yeah, he, I admire him a lot. Now, there's probably things that I disagree with him on politically, and and there's you know certainly. Uh, people who might be listening to this podcast might have their own opinions because Disney itself has been in the news with the whole DeSantis thing down in Florida and that whole politicization of of what the company had in the way of a deal originally with Walt Disney himself. Um, so that, that's a separate story. But this guy is, is truly a great leader um, and most people, uh, I think, should uh, and maybe do admire him for for the incredible work he's done with that company. So getting back to our, our strike, so it's okay. You can be a defender of capitalism, but also say, hey, it's okay that unions exist. And hey, in some cases, I actually support many of the unions' causes here. Being, being pro-capitalist does not mean being anti-union. No, being pro-capitalist means being pro-individual rights, and that includes the rights of laborers, writers, actors in this case, uh, to band together voluntarily and to exercise their own, their own judgment and their own economic power to the extent that they have any. And, and that's what the test will be is, is whether they really do have, whether there's enough value in the marketplace for them to, to demand more. Um, the studios will have to decide. And you know the long-range thinkers, the people who are thinking the long-range game about their particular occupations and industry will be the winners, ultimately. From your experience, Mike, you know, you're in the financial industry. You, I know, watch companies' quarterly reports. Any idea when you think the studios will actually uh, sit down and, and hammer out a deal? How, how much longer do you think it can go? Yeah, that's a good uh, good question, and I you know, have to emphasize that I'm not. We're not giving any financial advice here. Um, I, I do think that um, that it's possible that the industry itself um, is going through some kind of, is going through a transformation because of the because of the innovation that's gone on in terms of distribution and technology, and so that's 
that's something that everyone's going to have to come to terms with in, in their own way. I, I think that um, it's going to probably take longer for this to get resolved than a lot of people would hope. Um, it doesn't seem like either side is really, really being persuasive to the other right now. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've spoken with a few people who are not directly involved in the strikes, but who do um, marketing um, for movies or uh, I don't know exactly what they do. Anyway, they knew more about it than I did. And they think it's going to go till at least October. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I just need to see Gladiator 2 eventually. <laughs> Is that the number one thing you're looking for? Actually, not really. But What would be the number one thing you're, you'd, you'd say, hey, I'll miss well, this if it doesn't come out? I don't even know if I, I know what it is. I mean, I think there's so many projects that haven't even been announced that we don't know have now been delayed. I'm sure if any of us saw a list, we'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to wait another year for that now. Honestly, Gladiator 2 might not even be that good, as horrible as a thing as that. Well, most sequels are not that great, right? No. It's it's pretty tough for a sequel to top its original. Usually Hollywood's pretty good about milking things, and that's a a whole different rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. But that goes to show that it's difficult to be that creative. I mean, you know, the... There's so many stories in pattern that have been told before. Um, and, you know, Shakespeare probably says that, you know, there's, there's basically three conflicts in all of, all of human history, right? Yeah. Um, there's patterns that, that we go through, and it's, it's very difficult for someone to be that creative and come up with something that compelling. Um, and again, that's what makes the world go round when you have creators uh, going out there on the edge and and coming up with something new, sometimes failing, sometimes failing miserably. But then, and that that's the other part of it. These studios, uh, th- there's all kinds of publications or publicity that comes out for the blockbuster hit film, but no one ever hears about all these you know horrible films that were made and they took a chance on and they spent a lot of money producing and they're trying to market them and distribute them and they fall flat on their face and, and yeah. they lose money on those. So that's, that's the risk of an entrepreneur. And, and that's, that's partly the, the business of capitalism is to, to have that market test, so to speak. But uh, hopefully they'll resolve it sooner than later. Cause I'm, again, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, much of what Hollywood would produce. Although much of it, I think is, horrible both from both of my earlier mentioned standards whether it's uh, how well it's executed and how well it's written uh, but potentially more importantly to me the the message or the moral that they have at the end of the story well to our listeners i ask are you not entertained <laughs> hopefully you have been entertained by this uh, episode and you'll continue to like share promote our Defenders of Capitalism podcast. It's it's a minority position right now. There aren't that many people in the world who are who are principled defenders and champions of laissez-faire capitalism, but you probably are one or open to the argument if you're listening to our podcast. Help promote this if you can, and we'll look forward to being with you again soon.